And welcome into the ASI Sheepcast. I'm Chase Adams for the American Sheep Industry Association and talking here with Peter Aykroyd at the IWTO Mid-Year Meeting. Uh, Peter, before we get started, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, about your background. Now, you're currently serving as IWTO president, but tell me a little about your background with uh, with the wool industry in, uh, in the United Kingdom and elsewhere. Oh, I come from four generations of wool. Uh, my great-grandfather was a coma. Uh, my grandfather was a spinner, and uh, my father was a spinner, so I've been working in wool uh, myself for 40-odd years now. So it's far too long, but I've done a lot of work in uh, in menswear fabrics and yarns, and I knew the American market particularly well in the old days. We used to do a lot of business, and we still do business with uh, the main uh, Madison Avenue and Fifth Avenue stores. Um, it, they were good old days, and um, it was uh, good business. Tell me about what you see as some of the uh, uh, some of the similarities that our growers face uh, to yours, and some of the some of the challenges. I think the wool growers um, that I represent really are the Australian merino growers because we don't produce any wool in the UK apart from the tweed wools that are part of the British weaving scene. The first wool from Australia landed in the UK in 1807 and started the British Industrial Revolution, which of course went on in the States as well. Um, we are, uh, the British wool weaving industry was an apparel weaving industry. It used to be bulk. It's now niche. And we're looking at, at a niche apparel weaving industry. They used to be in the UK would be 175 apparel weaving companies, 25 interior weaving companies. Now they're about 34, 35. So the less number of units, but um, an expanding niche. And America has always been a very important market. It was always well tariff protected. When I first went to North America, there was a 38%, remember, 38% duty on wool textiles into North America. Uh, there's very little duty on Harris Creek. That went in at 15% because of an agreement with the churches of the Hebrides and the churches of the Carolinas. Um, but it's always been a competitive market. But yeah, the tastes and preferences of North America, particularly on the eastern seaboard, are very Anglo-Saxon British. Uh, it's, the, the look has always gone down terribly well. I think it's, um, it's the anniversary of Brooks Brothers very shortly, and we're going to be celebrating that at Pitiuomo, the big menswear show in Florence in uh, January. And Brooks, for me, has always been uh, the epitome of Anglo-Saxon or Anglo-American style. And, of course, we have the introduction of Ralph Lauren. We have the introduction of all sorts of brands which uh, reflect that sort of preppy, Anglo-American, Upper East Side, New York look or Bostonian look. And it's been very much to the benefit of the British weaving industry and Australian wool and also American wool. But I, I remember the days when Burlington had their showroom on uh, 6th Avenue. And, of course, the whole clip was taken by Burlington. Um, but times have changed. Time, times have changed, definitely. But uh, wool is in the up now. The prices of merino are pretty good. We are facing, unfortunately, a depressed price of crossbred wools in, uh, in the UK and New Zealand. But one hopes that will change. But certainly on Merino, in South, here in South Africa, as we speak, they have never seen prices so high. Sadly, they are suffering from uh, an amazing drought, which is causing huge problems. Uh, the, the yield from the sheep is not as high, but the price is good. Now, Peter, as you say, times have changed. I want to focus a little bit on that from the International Wool Textile Organization, which, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you are, are the president of and serving in that role. Tell me, what, uh, what are some of the things on the horizon that, that you really want to uh, see this organization tackle? Some things specifically that you'd like to see uh, growers tackle. I know that, uh, you know, sustainability 
uh, is, is certainly one of those things that, that I want to talk a little bit about here, but that and others. What slightly worries me, Chase, is that some of the um, leading organizations that try to vilify wool are actually based in the States, based in the USA. Um, I think wool is being massively unfairly treated by the lobbies of fast fashion. I won't mention names, it'd be too, it'd be, it would be a little infradig, but certain large department stores, large chain stores are paying organizations to discuss their sustainability and to, to discuss their response to environmental issues. I believe wool has an automatic response. Wool, I always say wool is as good as it gets in terms of fiber. But here we are, time and again, being challenged by organizations that try to put us down at the bottom of the list, at the bottom of the class, when we should really be scoring A++. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, people are vilifying wool for the sake of justifying other types of fiber, which I think is totally unsustainable. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a total realist. I don't see, we can't live without synthetic fibers. We can't live without polyester. But what we can do is make a decision to make a more equitable choice, uh, invest in something with a return on capital which will biodegrade at the end of its life. Um, but I'm afraid that a lot of the organizations, and not to mention animal rights organizations, which totally distort the entire story for reasons best known to themselves, are stateside. So um, my agenda is sustainability. My agenda is to tell the truth about wool. We don't say we, don't say we are perfect, but we, are, we do say we are as good as it gets. That's Peter Ackroyd, president of the International Wool Textile Organization. And I'm Chase Adams reminding you to join us at the ASI convention January 31st to February 3rd in San Antonio, Texas. You can find more information and all the details on sheepusa.org.